Hi, I'm Lowell. I'm Aiden. And I'm David. And you're listening to I Read the News Today. Oh boy! We are not journalists. Pundits. Or rock climbers. But we do read the news. And we are here to talk about the shit that's going on. Today is May 11th, 2020. And although this is actually the first week that we've had national news topics to talk about besides COVID-19, including... The fact that there's a second plague of murder hornets, the dropping of charges for Mike Flynn and Biden starting to look for a VP. That's actually kind of part of the reason why we think it's important to get back to COVID-19 now and address some of the things that have changed over the past few months. We've talked about the disease a little bit over this time, but I think that it's a good thing for us to dive back in just just a little bit and give some updates. First off, what has changed in the past few months? Last time we talked about this, there were only 19 cases in the United States. The extent of the virus had centralized in China. Also, if I remember correctly, after like right after we finished recording that episode, the U.S. reported its first death. Yes, it did. Like yeah. within within hours of mm-hmm. us recording, we had already pretty much determined that we were not going to be able to contain this, but we didn't really know what spread was going to look like. And there were a lot of reasons why that was the case. As of recording, we now have a total of 1.37 million cases in the United States. And of those, 114,000 have recovered and over 80,000 as of this past week have died. One of the things that I know that I had said at that time was that this probably was not going to be as severe as influenza most years. And that has been proven to be quite false. As I said then, influenza usually has between 12,000 and 60,000 deaths a year. We're now over 20,000 higher than that highest estimate for influenza. This is a very serious thing. And so part of the reason we haven't talked about it that much is because information has been changing rapidly. We didn't want to add to the amount of misinformation that is out there. Things have started to become a little bit more clear. Most people listening to this knows most of this information, but I did want to make sure to start off by giving a bit of correction to what we had said before and give a little bit more information as to what has changed. That said, I do think in an ideal world, what I said then could have been quite accurate. We've made a lot of mistakes along the way uh, as a nation and as a planet to try to mitigate this problem. And on top of that, there was a lot of stuff that we just didn't know. I don't want to talk too much about that because... Yeah, what what, what, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> this is exactly. You don't want to talk about. Let's talk about the things that we're going to talk about. <laughs> so what we're going to talk about here, we're going to talk about two major things. How coronavirus has impacted our health and how it's impacted our economy and the fight between different factions in our country to determine what is more important. The day that we're recording this, there was an article written by presidential presumptive nominee Joe Biden that is talking about this idea that there is a struggle between economy and health. There have been significant lockdowns throughout the country for what's going on two months. For the most part, people have done a very good job of staying away from others and using proper proper safety methods. But there has been a growing amount of unrest and there are states that have already started opening to certain degrees. There are states that are are trying to open everything. Georgia began reopening the state's dine-in restaurants on April 27th and 12 days later, according to data from restaurant booking service Open Table, there were still 92% fewer diners than there were on the same day a year ago. So what this is saying, to me at least, is that just because you want something to change doesn't mean it does. Well, and that's one of the big things about this whole crisis, that it's both a health crisis and an economic crisis. This is not like the financial crisis of 2008. This is not just about Mm -hmm. getting consumers to get the economy going again. It's not just about making them feel secure in spending and investing and making the money and the cash flow that gets our economy working. This is also a crisis of both health and emotion. It's not just Mm -hmm. will people both be safe and feel safe to continue to go out 
and to continue to spend that money. We do see there are places that are opening up and people are going out. And of course, there's, you know, plenty of people doing so in protest as well. Uh, I'll yep. note there's uh, pretty famously on Mother's Day, there was that uh, restaurant in Oregon that opened against government, opened against state orders, no personal protective devices or what have you. Yep. But those are often done in protest. Even looking internationally, no country that has gone into lockdown has been able to get itself back to where it was right away. Yeah, yeah, of course. And and thinking that you can, even if you took away all restrictions whatsoever, it, it's about confidence. And Joe Biden said that very clearly in this article, that we have a, a very confidence-based economy. Talking about protests, there was also a, a bunch of pictures distributed this past week of protesters, and there have been numerous protests around the country, often of fairly heavily armed protesters who are demanding that we reopen. And there was were photos this past week of I will uh, I'll I'll just jump in real quick to yep. say that it's not it's not just. Well it's a, rather it's not not to say that every protest has heavily armed people at it. Mm -hmm. I think that's a little bit of a mischaracterization. Yeah. Uh but that has been a presence. Yeah, no, that that is absolutely a fair clarification. Yeah, and that I mean, I think my understanding is that's particularly within Michigan. Mm -hmm. Is that's been the case? Not that that matters. Not that like Michigan is a more like likely place for people to own a gun. But no, but there there were. I mean, I, I've seen pictures of of the Denver protests. I've seen seen pro protest photos around the country, and there have been photos of people who are armed. Of course, they often draw the eye of a photographer, so that is that is a very good clarification. But there is something to be said about the types of people who are doing these protests. From what I've seen nationally, there has been a, a presence of people who have guns, but uh, I don't have any statistics on it. But I think, what, I think what you're going to kind of elaborate on is going to provide some idea of why that might be the case. Well, yes, exactly. And what I wanted to talk about in terms of that is that it, there is this feeling of civil rights being taken away for these quarantines. The reason why I draw this connection with people who are armed is because it, that it often is a, a type of person who who has this strong belief in civil rights. So there there is this connection to those who are protesting about civil rights. And then there are people who are protesting about economy and a belief that we are, as many Republicans and, and conservative pundits have said, that the cure is worse than the disease, that we are doing more damage to ourselves by having these quarantines than having people die. I wanted to quote Governor Cuomo, who I did not expect I would be quoting with as much praise as, as I am. Uh, there are a lot of People who don't like Andrew Cuomo. Oh, you! But come on, let's bash bash Andrew. Take him to the woodshed. You're, you're not on the Cuomo train. You're not on the the, the 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 direct Cuomo Amtrak Express to where 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 they do the government things. Albany. Yeah, that. <laughs> <laughs> this was better when I remembered that word. <laughs> the major city closest to where you attended college. Yeah, Saratoga is a fairly major city. I would not call it a major city. It's a city. It's. Is it a city? It is a city. Andrew Cuomo, despite the fact that many New Yorkers are not huge fans of Andrew Cuomo, he's, he's done a very good job of communicating the necessities here. One thing that he said recently when asked about whether or not the economy is more important than these quarantines, he said, what you risk here without having the quarantines is people's lives and that he does not believe that the economy is more important in people's lives. But I, I think that really what Joe Biden in this article that I brought up earlier has said very well is that it really is not a question of economy or health. We need health in order to have a stable and growing economy. If we have people who are constantly ill, if we are not in any way controlling this, we have far more long-term economic issues to worry about. And I was wondering what your guys' thoughts on this debate is. On if there will be long-term economic issues to no, this no, no, thing? No. Yes. <laughs> well, of course, of course. But but whether or not you think that gone overboard with this or if what we are doing is necessary 
are we stopping too soon? Well, the very difficult question that of uh, the, 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 the difficult aspect to the question you're asking is where you draw the line and what you're what you're saying to the word we, because sure. that is and I think it's one of the most striking things about this disaster in general is how different the response looks to different areas of the country. And uh, I do on one hand, yes, it's absolutely correct that, you know, different areas have different population density, have different traffic patterns between people, have different amount of tourism and people coming in and out and what have you. But the response in New York is very different than the response in a state like Florida. And uh, it's been very much uh, the federal government has very much doffed its responsibility for headlining any kind of response, leaving it very much largely up to the governors. So the to ask the question, are we doing enough, mm-hmm. is sort of maybe doesn't even have the wide enough scope. And it's it, the question maybe more is, you know, are we as a state doing enough? Because there's a difference between what each collective portion, what each section of this country <laughs> is doing on its own, because we're Laurel there. There is no coordinated thoughtful response it's all yeah very much cordoned off and different and to me that is the most dangerous part about the whole thing yeah no i agree i think that's the most dangerous part of the whole thing and i think that you make a really good point david about the lack of a coordinated national response and i think there's an argument to be made that the public's reaction to the measures that have been put in place through different from at the state level and at the national level is very telling about what kind of the confidence looks like within the people yeah. And I think Andrew Cuomo, like giving any praise to Andrew Cuomo is very telling because he is the governor of the state that has the most cases of COVID-19. Yep. But yet he's been pretty widely praised for his response, whereas Donald Trump has received a lot of criticism. Yeah. And I think that goes to the attitude that the two leaders have had in managing this crisis. There's been a lot of criticism of the lies and misstatements that Donald Trump has made, whereas there's a perception that Governor Cuomo has taken the issue a little bit more seriously. The response from the public to that is something that's very telling as we move forward from this. Absolutely. There is also the debate whether or not there should have been more federal coordination or if states are better at coordinating their own issues. I personally think that a coordinated federal response with a far more regimented idea of how we're going to respond in each state and having the ability to coordinate across the country would have been a better move at this point, but I didn't always believe that. Now, also, well, but here's the thing. A coordinated federal response is not a blanket response that is not a one size fits all. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, no, it would be, uh, you know, oversight and regulation. It would be making sure that, you know, rather than leaving it up for the governor's to create a marketplace for ventilators, yeah. that there are levers and systems of power to judge when and where the ventilators need to get to where they need to go. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what I would say to that is there should have been some sort of consistent messaging coming from the top. Mm-hmm. That is, um, I agree. That's that's the most important thing in my mind that we, and I think that's why we have this debate now, whether or not it's more important for our economy to function or for people to be healthy. It, it would not be a debate if we had a significant and consistent message saying we can do everything we can do. Well, not everything, but we can we have a plan and it doesn't feel like we have a, a national plan. I, I will say, too, I think there's also a little bit of a word tweak to be done in the nature of the argument, sure. because to, to to set up the argument in, that, in the way that you did versus, you know, is it more important to have a functioning economy versus have people be healthy? I mean, frankly, there's a fair amount of weight in the way that that's worded towards obviously health being kind of the thing that should be prioritized. The To me, the debate is what and when is it safe mm-hmm. to reopen and what is it safe to reopen and and how is it and, and what is... Having definitions. Right. That's a good way to put it because... Because, it, yeah, because it's less about like, what do you value more? And frankly, I think that's one of those big flame wars that exactly can distract a lot of people. I, you know, at, at a certain can't be a political approach to this. It has to be scientific. We have this artificial debate 
because of uh, the politics of it. This has been heavily politicized. People on both sides are saying don't politicize it, but they're both mm-hmm. doing it by saying don't politicize it. A lot of people have have tried comparing this to World War II. The, the problem is that a lot of those things have united us as a people. And we are so divided at this point that even a virus that is indiscriminately killing us we cannot be united on. And that's what really upsets me about this whole thing. Well, that's, and polarization is a very, that's a key component to this because we're looking at potentially going into an election with 25% unemployment. Yeah. And there's a, there's a real chance that Donald Trump could be reelected. Yeah. And in previous election cycles, a 25% unemployment rate would be unthinkable for the president to yeah. be reelected. We are so polarized that the idea that the economy is the thing that matters is it, it's, it's one, it's another like rule of American politics that's been rewritten in this time. Yeah. It has been so politicized and the 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 phrasing reopen the economy to me is something that's so absurd. Yeah, because what that means to me is whenever we decide to the whoever it is who manages the economy will go down to the local economy building in the morning and (laughs) will open up the doors Yeah, um, and say, hello, we are open for business now. This is the economy. Uh, And that's not how it works. It's yeah, it, it is not. We've distilled it into these very small sound sound bites, and that's not making the debate any easier to have. Absolutely. I, I think that's a very good point. And I think that summarizes really what I was trying to say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. David, you specifically wanted to talk about PPP. Yeah, that's right. Knowing that we'd be talking about coronavirus and its effects on the country. I don't know about you guys, but I have to do a little bit of a PP. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> you want to take a quick second no, and uh, no, take care just, of that? I just wanted to insert a little bit of shock jock radio into this. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> can we get the sound of a toilet flushing? Oh, we can get that. We can get it. All right, can we get the sound of like a spring springing? Uh, I can do that. I can just do that here. Can we get the sound of can we get I ha- can we get the sound of a frat boy laughing approvingly? No, I, I I can't do that. Can we get the sound of a helicopter crashing into I-95 and then a T-Rex coming out of it and eating that helicopter? Can we get the sound of... <laughs> I don't know. I thought something would come in. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Anyways, <laughs> So I wanted to talk about the PPP, which is one of the ways that the government is, federal government specifically, has chosen to respond to try to help small businesses and business in general and help the economy weather this storm. And I don't know if anyone has been paying attention It's uh, to this over the last few weeks. It hasn't exactly been going that, all that great. So what went wrong? So the federal government set up this PPP. They earmarked $349 billion for businesses, specifically small businesses, as well as self-employed individuals and even some smaller nonprofits to get some money to help keep people on their payroll, help keep the lights on, help keep these industries in business and get through to the other side of this thing. So before we start going on into like the specifics of it, let me ask you guys a little uh, little quiz here. So what percentage of businesses in the U.S. do you think qualify as small businesses? Now, small businesses under a technical definition are businesses that have fewer than 500 employees. So what percentage of that makes up all the businesses in the United States? So I don't I'd say like 95. Yeah, I don't know the answer, but I have because I, I don't know if the, like the answer that I have in my head uses the parameters of this question. But it's yeah, it's mm-hmm. something like 97 percent. Uh, yeah. yeah, well, according to the Small Business Association, it is 99.9% of yeah. businesses technically qualify as small that businesses. Makes sense. And how many, How? What, what do you think the number is attached to that? Oh, there are 300 million people in the United States. I'd say <laughs> there's probably, there's probably three quarters of a million, th- 750,000. Small businesses in the United States? That's my guess. Are we playing by prices right rules where if law goes over, I win? <laughs> that is which if that's the case, then I, I'm probably lost. that would technically be correct. Then I'm going to guess that there's one small business. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I guess uh, Lowell is closest, but it's off by about twenty nine million businesses. Uh, there are thirty point oh seven God. million small businesses. Thirty in points, the United. There's there's one business 
for every 10 people? Well, there's this number incorporates a number of different things. Obviously, oh. so one person can control numerous different organizations. Sure, it's, sure that makes uh, sense. Self-employed individuals. It's small companies, you know, even companies as big as two or yeah. three people. So that's amazing to me, though. I, yeah. I just hadn't thought that it could possibly be a tenth of our population. Yeah. That's uh, crazy. Well, again, we are at, we'll, we have a robust economy. You have a lot of oppor- options and opportunities to, yeah. you know, for entrepreneurs. So yeah. Yeah. they originally earmarked, like I said, $349 billion. How fast do you think it ran out? <laughs> um, I think it was 13 days because you didn't. You didn't block that oh, one. Oh, that's right. I didn't block it out. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I'd already seen it. So well, I, I no, that's exactly I didn't correct. see it, and I was gonna not not trying to win the prices right. I was gonna say something to the effect of like minutes before the bill was signed. <laughs> well, pretty much. So they had set aside all this money, and in just less than two weeks, this fund has been almost completely depleted. Yeah. And even among that, you know, as I mentioned, small businesses can even range inside from 500 employees down to one. Think self-employed individuals. Well, self-employed individuals and incredibly small companies had to wait a week to apply for the loans. Yeah. So a lot of these, a lot of these smaller businesses didn't even really have a chance yeah. to get their stuff in. And that's not even taking into account a tremendous amount of vague and confusing information. The Small Business Association had sort of one set of facts. All the various banks that would, the money was going to be funneled through had another set. There was a lot of confusion about the yep. different types of applications that you'd have to fill out and, and so on and so forth. And by the time you kind of puzzled through all that, if you're applying for the first round, there's, you know, a really big question as to whether or not you'd even be able to get in there at all. Gotta love bureaucracy. <laughs> well, exactly right. So, you know, at this point, there is another round coming Coming to the coming to the PPP, there's another three hundred and twenty one billion dollars coming in. But at this point, several weeks have passed. And, you know, even if they do get that money and they apply, it's still going to take more time for this money to actually reach these businesses that are right now in critical, critical need and businesses that kind of make up the backbone of the American society. Everything from, you know, the small local you know, mom and pop shop in small town America to any number of small shops, stores and businesses that, you know, make big giant cities thrive. One of the big, big issues issues that's been coming through the PPP, especially this first round, is how many large businesses were able to actually take advantage of this program because of a number of loopholes that were sort of shoehorned into the bill at the last minute. For instance, businesses that have franchises, think chain stores or restaurants, were able to apply for loans because the franchises were technically qualified as small businesses, even though they were connected to these larger corporations that had a tremendous amount of capital. Shake Shack got $10 million in loans. Chris's Takeout got $20 million. (laughs) Even the LA Lakers, which is the seventh or eighth most valuable team in the NBA, technically qualified as a small business. And was approved for uh, almost $5 million out of this small loan. That's crazy. Now, in fairness to the Lakers, they are in the midst of, I think, their longest playoff drought in history. So they might, <laughs> they may very well be hurting. I'm certain. What is that, ve- two or three years? <laughs> they haven't made the playoffs <laughs> since 2013. Wow, really? Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, these and many other large businesses were able to get these fairly hefty loans, not necessarily in relation to how much that business is worth, but just in terms of to the amount of money that was in the original pot to begin with. Now, the companies I did name, Shake Shack, Ruth Chris, LA Lakers, and some of of the other uh, companies that did get loans have since that time returned those loans. Yeah, PR nightmare. Exactly right. Even so, this is still time lost for these businesses to not get these loans. Yeah, But even absolutely. on top of that, never mind, you know, in, in addition to all these more functionary issues that are happening, there's a lot of issues with, with the loans themselves. You know, the loans came with a bunch of strings attached. They came with the fact that, you know, if you get take this loan, you need to, you need to set aside a certain percentage for pay and then after that percentage, you could spend on other things. But here's the thing is if a business is going to take this loan and it's going to spend it on payroll, well, if there's no work that they have, if you're a restaurant and you're closed right now, you know, you have no work for them to actually do. You have no income your, yeah. your business is actually making. And then even once restrictions lift, even once the shelter in place is lift, there's still going to be heavy restrictions on a lot of these industries. Yeah. How can you still spend that much money and afford to actually keep that many people on your, you know, to actually spend that amount of money on payroll? Yeah. It'd be one thing if it were just 
money that was given to them. And there is a chance for the loan payments to be forgiven, but it's not a guaranteed thing. And this makes a very, very difficult thing for businesses to weigh whether or not they should even take on a loan, which could have huge financial implications, negative implications for them down the line if, you know, they take this loan, but the economy isn't snapping back right away. Do you have any sense, David, if that has, if there's any kind of survey that has shown that that's discouraged certain businesses from applying for this? I didn't get any specific data on that. All I can speak from is personal experience. I'm fairly tied into the restaurant world Mm -hmm. uh, in New York, and my family has a restaurant in New Jersey. And I can tell you that, you know, my father's business, it just did not make sense to apply for the loan Mm. for a number of reasons, but also not least of which is frankly out of care for his employee. He has a restaurant in a fairly large city on the East Coast. Whose name must not be named. (laughs) (laughs) And they they serve a lot of office buildings around them. And all these office buildings are empty and will be remaining empty for months. So they're not. So it's not like they have a tremendous amount of people actually coming in for things to get done. And also, especially with the government's unemployment benefits program with the additional six hundred dollars on top of whatever else they could get for their employee, you know, what you could get from on this, the additional $600 on top of whatever else you would get from the state for being unemployed, you know, it's doing what that was sort of set up to do to supposed to that additional $600 is supposed to be discouraging people from going to work to prevent them from getting and spreading the virus. And also kind of at the same time means that if my father were to and his business were to hire, you know, keep his employees on the payroll, you know, it's a it's a very small business. He doesn't offer he can't afford to offer them a health any health care benefits. Yeah. And they what he would be able to what he would be paying them is not at all what he, they could be getting from unemployment. Yeah. So in, in, you know, in deference to them. It just made sense not to do it. They are working and changing. The PPE is still sort of, you know, is still kind of getting revised and reformatted in a few different ways. So this is still a bit of an ongoing saga. But this is, you know, the government, the government's first and most immediate response to try to help these businesses weather this storm. And <laughs> it hasn't the worked. Whole thing's, no, not. Uh, it's been working very, very poorly. Thank you for bringing that in and, and definitely for bringing your own experience on that. Uh, it's sucks that i mean it sucks that the things that are intended to help aren't helping but it's okay because we have so many bright shining people right up there at the top right aiden oh yeah (laughs) great segue so aiden you wanted to talk about the white house yeah so i mean there's it's not necessarily breaking news because it was a couple days ago that this occurred but there has been sort of a mini outbreak of covid19 within the the offices of the white house donald trump's personal valet and mike pence's press secretary have both tested positive for the virus what about stephen miller's wife well so that's what i was about to say is mike pence's um, press secretary is stephen miller's wife so All right, there's yeah. like it would be bad enough if it was the just the vice president's press secretary that has this thing. But in addition to that, it because of the intermingling of the White House, mm-hmm. th- there's potential for contamination of the president's office as well. So Steve Miller might be could potentially have been a carrier of COVID-19. Yes. To the president. Yeah. Is the Stephen Miller ban potentially a carrier of COVID-19? Yeah, it's it. That's one of the things that we recently found out is the virus can transmit without contact to people that have the same name. Interesting. So Mm. that is (laughs) definitely don't want to be listening to fly like an eagle right now. That like the, the Irish um, men's field hockey player that I'm named after. If he gets it, I'm at risk. Oh no. Lowell, Lowell, you are safe. I'm pretty safe. Yeah. (laughs) You're maybe the safest person in the whole country. (laughs) It's very possible. Uh, Logie is not a a common one. Three members of the president's coronavirus task force have entered self-quarantine because of potential contact with people who have the virus. Yeah. They are scheduled to testify before the Senate Health Committee remotely tomorrow because they're in self-quarantine. The Senate Health Committee chairman, Lamar Alexander um, from Tennessee, he is also self-quarantining because because 
one of his staff members tested positive. So there's a lot of this going around the White House and potentially the halls Mm -hmm. of Congress as well. And then I found a couple of articles about the way that the White House is managing the outbreak within its own halls. So Mike Pence, despite his press secretary testing positive, has not entered self-quarantine. And the president's reported actions and words are not matching his public rhetoric about how the public should respond to the virus. So he's been pretty vocal and vocally in favor of, for lack of a better phrase, opening up the economy, while at the same time, there are reports that he is worried about coming into contact with certain members of his administration, that he's worried have had contact with people who have the virus. Mm -hmm. There's he is report. This is even before the coronavirus happened. Donald Trump is reportedly a germaphobe. So that potentially plays into that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. About a month ago, he encouraged everyone in the country to wear masks when out in public, but refuses to do so himself. Yep. Throughout Donald Trump's time in office, there's been this idea of the chaos within the White House. And it it seems like they are scrambling to figure out exactly what to do with the outbreak within the offices itself. And since we started recording, Mm -hmm. I noticed that the president's administration is now encouraging everyone who works in the White House to wear masks. Mm. Interesting. I I do remember I was watching one of the first White House press conferences about coronavirus live where he had a bunch of CEOs from a bunch of retailers who were saying, oh, we're going to help with testing and things like that. And he was shaking everyone's hands, except for the very last guy was like, I'm not shaking your hand. It was it was as he was saying, we should not be shaking hands. We should not be getting within six feet of each other. They were at this press conference that they were shaking hands. Yeah, so. and he'd like touch the microphone and like, mm-hmm. yep, yep, <clears throat> licked it and <laughs> so yeah, it, there, there you, definitely has did been. Did you guys a, hear about the wider reason about why the NBA suspended the season? No, no. the The first NBA player to test positive for COVID nineteen was Rudy Gobert of the Utah Jazz. And mm-hmm. in a press conference after a game, I think two days before he tested positive, he, in an effort to make light of the panic around the virus, he made it a point to touch every single reporter's microphone. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, that uh, didn't. Uh, That's not great. <laughs> that didn't go so well. Yeah. Nope. He like he, he has apologized, but I imagine he's going to be one of the most hated players in the NBA. Um, after this. (laughs) Yeah. The real thing I'd like to kind of, the the real thing I want to just sort of focus on is the discrepancy between Trump's rhetoric to the public in terms of wanting to reopen the economy and the panic that his administration is feeling within their own offices. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He really wants like, and it it's, we know why he wants the economy to reopen is of course. Yeah, if things look very bad right now for him going into the election in terms of the economic numbers, the unemployment rate, if there is a recovery that starts, say, July, August, September in that kind of region, he can claim credit for that. And that's going to look very good sure. going into the election. But mm-hmm. it's just it's getting hard for that to look like a possibility, particularly when his own employee, well, not necessarily his own employees, but members of his own administration are fearing going back to work. Like White House senior advisor Kevin Hassard said on Sunday that it's, quote, scary to go to work in the West Wing <laughs> now that two Trump administration staffers have tested positive for the virus within the past week. Mm. Yeah, I want to wrap this up on a bit of a positive note as positive as we can get we'll take what we can get although things are starting to reopen i I want to make sure that people are being safe but i i was actually talking to my grandmother on mother's day yesterday and i hadn't really thought about this but in a lot of ways this would be considerably worse for everyone if this was 30 years ago imagining a time without the technology that we have without the ability for anyone to work from home i don't frankly know what in the crippling fuck I would do without Wikipedia. 
with all the exactly. free time I have on my hands and no ability to use Wikipedia. The three of us wouldn't be able to, would hardly be able to, to talk except for by phone. We certainly wouldn't be able to do this form of talking in more than a one-to-one setting. It would be kind we'd of be cool. reduced to pigeons. We could no. invent the podcast. We could have invented the podcast, but again, I am very grateful for all the things that we have in order to keep in touch with people in order to, and, and really the fact that I, I do get to talk to you guys and to, to talk to people who are important to me in this time. And just thinking about a time before we had this technology and going through this then, it's unimaginable. So in some ways I'm saying... It could be worse, but also uh, how much I, I appreciate what I have at this time. And it, it can be hard to do when so many things are taken away. But mm. uh, I do think there are a lot of good things that we still have. And with with that, unless anyone has anything else they want to say, um, let's let's head to a break. All right. Yeah, well said. Hello, folks. Thank you for listening to I Read the News Today, Oh Boy. We really appreciate everyone listening to this. I know that this episode might not have been the funniest episode that we've had, but it was very important because this is a show about talking about the news, and when there is a topic so dominant in the news, I, I did think that it was important to follow up on it. I hope that you appreciate that as well. But please let us know on Facebook or at our email what you think of this episode and what do you think think of the show so far. We really want to hear from you. You can also send us any weird articles that you find and we might even use them on the show. So that Facebook is www.facebook.com slash newsoboy or you could email us at newsoboy at gmail.com and we'd love to hear from you and and see how you're doing in this time and how you're dealing with COVID-19 and ways that you're using to keep sane because we all need those little strategies right now. In the meantime, uh, our next episode will be back to uh, some humor. Um, and the rest of this episode is is pretty funny. So I, I hope you enjoy it. And I hope that you're having a safe time in this strange atmosphere. Enjoy the rest of the show. And we are back skipping a, a weird article this week just because we wanted to get in as much information as we can on coronavirus. But Aiden's brought in a Wikipedia for the week. Uh, what what are we going with? I have. I've been sitting on this one for a little bit waiting for kind of the right time. But I, I like this article a lot. Yeah, let's you know, what? let's let's play the guessing game. Let's figure out what we think this is. Just hover over it. Get the name. Hopefully the the picture will come up. David, do you oh. want to make the first guess as to what Gilbert U238 Atomic Energy Laboratory does? So am I allowed to go by the picture that pops up when I when I roll over it? I think it's only fair that you are. So when you scroll over the Gilbert U238 Atomic Energy Laboratory, it uh, pops up a little image of what appears to be a red box in in sort of a sort of a 1950s futuristic cartoony lettering full of you know little gadgets and gizmos like a bit of a science kit uh it seems like covered in the nuclear atom and what i deeply fear this is is a child's nuclear reactor okay so i'm gonna take a guess i because i'm afraid that you're right but I, what there's what i'm hoping it is you 238 is is a is a type of uranium and thank uh, that Christ is extremely Lord that you know that because it, that is extremely unstable and is used in atomic bombs i'm really hoping that david's wrong because that would suggest to me that this contains an actual sample for testing of uranium 238 instead i'm going to guess that this is a nice pleasant little board game where you can pretend you're making a, a nuclear bomb and, you know, you have little pieces and you, you move them around. And if you win, you destroy the world instead of what I'm worried about is that if you win, you've gotten terrible radiation sickness. So you're, you're worried that David hit the nail right on the head, which he effectively did. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I have it open now. All right, great. Uh, I, I, I love that it still says is a toy lab set. But at the beginning that in, is, in the description. That is what it is. <laughs> it, it is, is a toy. But, but if it contains uranium-238, then I'm not happy. So I, I am going to I'm going <laughs> to lean on your scientific knowledge when we get to the um, like l the 
what is included in this thing. But the yep. Gilbert okay. U-238 Atomic An- Energy Lab is a toy lab set that was produced by Alfred Cardlin Gu- Gilbert, who is an American athlete, magician, toy maker, businessman, oh, and inventor of the well-known in- Erector set. So he was actually... Wait, no. Yes. <laughs> the Erector set guy went on to do this? Yes. He was also a gold medal in um, pole vault at the Olympics. A gold what? medal winner at the... Uh, uh, as Erector a matter of fact, his, his Wikipedia page, his image on the Wikipedia page seems to be of that time, a photo of him from 1902, and he died very much in the modern era in 1961. Yeah. To Wikipedia, it oh. seems as though his athletic achievements uh, uh, were the defining characteristic of his life. Well, yeah. He did win a gold medal. That's like the best medal. He did win a gold medal in pole vaulting yeah, in London. He also created the Erector yeah. set. Yeah. He was played by Jason Alexander. <laughs> Where do you see that? <laughs> Under what, Legacy, where? the television movie The Man Who Saved Christmas is a oh. dramatization of Christmas during the years 1917 and 1918. The film takes several historical liberties. <laughs> like having Jason Alexander. So he is called The Man Who Saved Christmas because when he started his career as a toy maker um, in 1918 with the United States embroiled in World War One. The Council of National Defense considered a ban on toy production and therefore toy sales during Christmas. Gilbert successfully lobbied against it. So he was he earned hmm. the nickname the man who saved Christmas. Ed Asner's in this. Wow. Let's get back to uh, the horrifying thing that you, you've brought us. Yes. Which is the last five years of Ed Adner's career? No, uh, I'm I'm st- I'm just filled with existential dread as to what I'm going to find out about this toy. So the kit's intention was to allow children to create and watch nuclear and chemical reactions using radioactive material. God no. Yes. <laughs> how much? I, that's what I'm really trying to get to is how much. Well, we'll get there. Let's let's ease into it. Okay. So Gilbert's toys often included instructions on how the child could use the set to put on a magic show. (laughs) For parents, he pushed the idea that the set's use of chemical reactions directed their children towards a potential career in science and engineering. Oh, God. Potentially. He claimed that the Uh, government encouraged the set's development because because the government believed the lab would aid public understanding of atomic energy and emphasize its constructive aspects. The problem is that they didn't have enough understanding themselves to know that this was a bad idea yet. have we gotten a, I don't think we've gotten to the date that it was sold. It was 1950. Yeah. So it was. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So the description, I think, Lowell, let's uh, let's let you start off the description section, because I think you're going to. Oh, God. The, your, your dawning horror will be very fun to listen yeah. to. The lab contained a cloud chamber allowing the viewer to watch alpha particles traveling at 12,000 miles per second which is only the smallest reason why they're dangerous. A spintheroscope showing the results of radioactive disintegration on a fluorescent screen and an electroscope measuring the radioactivity of different substances in the set. <sighs> in 2006, Radar Mag- Magazine called the lab set one of the 10 most dangerous toys of all time, excluding BB guns, slingshots, throwing stars, and anything else actually intended to inflict harm. I don't know about that. Because of the radio active material it included it was number two on the list number one was lawn darts are you guys familiar with lawn darts oh i'm very familiar with lawn darts i'm not that familiar with them i have a vague idea of what they are but i don't actually know what they look like i'm effectively a a children's javelin (laughs) that's a very good way to describe them Now, Aiden, Aiden, I've taken a cursory scroll through this uh, Wikipedia page, and what appears to be missing is Mm -hmm. uh, a list, a list of, uh, you know, known mutants, incredible hulks and the like that were (laughs) produced from children playing with these toys. So how many Dr. Manhattans did this create? We we don't have really any data on that because it it was extremely unsuccessful. So it was never popular. Um, Fewer than 5000 kits were sold. And it was only available in 1950 oh, wow. and 1951. It was the set was selling for forty nine dollars and fifty cents back then, which is an equivalent of five hundred thirty dollars in twenty nineteen. Yeah, no, no one's gonna buy this thing. Also, I know thank a lot goodness. of kids. Well, I mean, you know, that's uh, like buying a kid an iPhone. This is the iPhone of the nineteen fifties. Uh, less useful iPhone of the nineteen fifties. It's it's the Samsung Galaxy phone that used to explode of the 1950s. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, actually, that's, uh, nope, that's fairly accurate. Okay, so it, it included a Geiger counter, 
so that you could know exactly how much radiation you, you were getting, but you didn't know at that time exactly how much damage that radiation would give. An electroscope, spinthoroscope, Wilson cloud chamber with short-lived alpha source in the form of a wire. Okay, interesting. Four glass jars containing natural uranium bearings. U-238 or assembles. Oh, you would, you certainly would not want like synthetic uranium bearings. You want like the straight, like non-GMO, non like free range uranium bearings. It would be far more expensive to get the, uh, the synthetic stuff anyway. Mm. Low level radiation sources, beta alpha, pure beta in, in beta alpha was in the form of uh, lead two, six, two, 10 and pure beta was in the form of, uh, ruthenium, uh, one, uh, 106. And then, Oh my God, there are gamma sources. Yeah. So this in is what zinc, I wanted to ask you zinc is 65? what is any of this? Oh, uh, okay. So, I mean, it sounds safe to me. Uh, so alpha, beta alpha radiation is a combination of beta and alpha radiation. That's that's it. The the thing is alpha radiation is radiation that usually can't get through really any any obstacles. It's it really does not permeate of solids. Um so it kind of just reflects. Beta gets is more likely to be absorbed in the skin, but gamma radiation is actually just is is light actually so so alpha and beta particles are part particulate they're made of electrons and and protons uh or or protons and neutrons in in beta but gamma can go through your skin into your organs where it can get absorbed the incredible hulk is obviously fiction but they used gamma radiation oh, what now the Incredible Hulk is fiction. It's based on the idea of gamma radiation. I was taking a sip of water at that time, but you guys couldn't see my spit take. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you're going to have to clean that up later. But yeah, gamma radiation is very harmful to organs and cells in any context. You don't want to be exposed to a lot of gamma radiation. But then the rest of this is is pretty... Safe stuff. Books. Books are not 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 dangerous. The batteries are a choking hazard. Batteries could be a choking hazard. David, do you is there? What do you think about that comic book? Learn how Dagwood split the atom. <laughs> Actually, I'm very curious about this comic. So book. if you'll go to our show notes, I uh, found as much as I can of that. Oh, actually, this says it's the complete book. There he is. It's Dagwood and Blondie. Olive oil's there. This is a, a very word-heavy comic book, uh, from my experience. The comics were fairly word-heavy. Why, I guess Dagwood, even then, was probably the least expensive of the comic book characters. <laughs> I mean... Heathcliff had not yet come about. But the, all the science in, in this comic looks pretty good. Um, I don't know why the, the people who were making it didn't read these and say yeah we shouldn't be giving this to kids well the the government encouraged it apparently apparently the government encourages it but of course we we really hadn't done enough research on radiation at, at that point uh I, I think that 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 wasn't too long when were the radium girls oh that's my favorite band i'm not familiar with them you know that their their really famous song "Look at My Glowing Skin." They were clock industry workers, and they used to use you know how like clock faces sometimes can glow in the dark. Yes. The what they used at the beginning of of the 1900s to make that happen was radium, and so the women whose job it was to paint those obviously got severe radiation poisoning that's the the history behind that that was that was in 1920s so it wasn't too far before this and i'm not sure how much real publication there was on their radiation exposure until well the mid-30s so i don't know why 1950s they still thought this was a good idea because they they only had really low doses of of radiation but they had it over a long period of time which this toy would have done too so i don't know <laughs> oh it's a bad idea I did read an article that tried to pretend that owning this, like owning and utilizing this toy would be similar to like 
staying in the sun without sunscreen for a while. Uh, Maybe that's a benefit. Get a nice I'm, tan child. Gamma radiation is a bit more harmful than UV radiation. By a bit, I mean a lot more harmful than UV radiation. The question is whether or not the source, which is the sun, is producing so much more UV that you're going to be absorbing. I don't know. No matter what, it's a bad idea. <laughs> I mean, imagine if you ingest the uranium. Like if a child ingested that uranium, oh my God. How many more... How many strange and fantastic mutant powers would he have <laughs> to better serve our country? You're right. Well, and then Lowell, I'd like you to read the last <laughs> sentence there under the description section. Okay. Among other activities, the kit suggested playing hide and seek with the gamma ray source, challenging players to use the Geiger counter to locate a radioactive sample hidden in a room. Oh my god! <laughs> hide and seek with gamma radiation. That's great. That's just a wonderful idea. I suggest it to everybody. Please don't. We really did not understand radiation at the time. I mean, we, we really just didn't. It's kind of horrifying. Well, yeah, I mean, it, the instructions in the kit caution users not to break the seals on the ore sample jars, for they tend to flake and crumble, and you would run the risk of having radioactive ore spread out in your laboratory, uh -huh. um, raising the level of the background count and distorting the performance of the Geiger counter. Yeah, that's the reason. Don't want that distorted performance. Oh, goodness. Can't have distorted performance. And it is there. There is a shame that this didn't sell very well because there there really isn't any data on or anything about people who had any kind of negative. Oh, that really sounds like it's me wishing harm yeah. of children of the 50s. Uh -huh. uh, they're all dead. Yeah. So um, it's fine. They're not. <laughs> yeah. Everyone born in the 50s dead. They're not all dead. Oh, OK. That was like. That was like 70 years ago. It was. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know for certain that there would have been considerably harmful effects, but certainly wouldn't be good for you. But Columbia University purchased five of these sets for their physics lab. So good. Good on you, Columbia. Which, depending on the type of per time of purchase, might have co cost them up upwards of $50,000 because these are e extremely sought after collector's items. That definitely fills me with some some dread. The thought of children with radioactive materials that was my goal imagine replacing an easy bake oven with that not the same type of chemistry easy bake oven arguably not chemistry arguably it is arguably baking baking is chemistry arguably one could argue if we were arguing that is do you want to get into this no all right let's uh let's move on let's call it a show call it a show well Thank you, everyone, for uh, for listening. We wanted to make sure that we did cover the progress that COVID-19 has had. Progress might be the wrong word entirely, but we, we wanted to give an update and we really appreciate everyone listening. Aiden, would you like to read our final headline for this episode? I would indeed. <laughs> Queen's Brian May rips his butt to shreds while gardening in quarantine. <laughs> David, you sent this to us a couple days ago and you did make me think that Brian May was about to die. I actually don't think that this is the one that I thought that I thought you were going to do, David. You sent me the other day uh, a different article. Oh, did I? Oh, that's yeah. what I remembered. Do you want to do? Oh, do, 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 oh, do we want to oh, roll, roll it back? I'm sure. I, I'm sure oh, it no, was no, something. No. Else. We'll do two. We'll do two on this one because we didn't have a weird article. This headline, which also David sent to me. Oh God, I don't even remember. Belgians urged to eat frites twice a week to deplete oh. coronavirus potato mountain. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember that. I heard about that as well. <laughs> Oh, Belgians God. urge to eat frites twice a week to deplete coronavirus potato mountain. And with that, that is our episode again. Thank you for listening. We hope you're all doing as well as possible in this time. And we're wishing you the best. And I have been Lowell. I'm David. And I have been Aiden. We hope you have a great week. Thank you for listening. Are you telling me there's not one condo available in all of Del Boca Vista? Jerry Stiller. Oh. <laughs>